You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of set the stage for where we've been and where we're going. So uh, we are several weeks into a series that we've titled The Way, and we are uh, learning what it means to practice the ways of Jesus together. And so what we've been learning together is that to be a disciple of Jesus is to orient your life around three goals. We've done this every week. We're going to do it again this week. So I want you to say these out loud with me. Uh, Three goals. Goal number one. Uh, be with Jesus. Is it on the screen? We're going to put it. There it is. Yeah. All right. The goal of a disciple is to orient your life around these three goals. Say these with me. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Okay. So what we've done the last three weeks is we have touched on each of those goals, but we're not finished yet. What I'm going to do this morning is, uh, I'm going to talk about a way to sum all of those goals up into one overarching goal that God has for my life and that God has for your life. And so what that means is in my introduction, I'm going to do a little bit of recapping uh, for those of you who uh, maybe weren't here or uh, those of you who have slept since then and have forgotten what happened uh, five minutes ago. So that, that, that's, that's where we're going this morning. Let me just say this before I pray and read the text and pray. This really is a key moment in the life of our church. Uh, and our hope for you in this series is that you will see that this is not just a fad. Uh, this is not just some kind of trend that we are jumping on as a church, but we are really reorienting and restructuring our lives around what it means to follow Jesus. And those three goals, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. That is God's plan for your life. That is, that is what it means to be human. That is the reason that you were made. And so our hope is that you would, uh, you would see that through this series and you would follow Jesus. Um, with that said, Let's hear from Jesus. Let's go to Mark chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to read one verse here, and then I'm going to flip back to, or two verses, I'm going to flip back to Matthew chapter 7 and read from Jesus' conclusion to his famous Sermon on the Mount. And so here's what Mark says, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, if you'll read with me. He says, uh, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if you flip back to Matthew chapter 7, I want you to look at how Jesus closes his famous Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. What a powerful illustration. Uh, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose... And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had at its, uh, its foundation it had its foundation on the rock. Verse twenty six. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. So, Father, I I do thank you for uh, the fact that, man, Jesus, you have ripped the curtain in two and you have brought us all the way into your sweet presence. That there's no barrier between us and you save the ones that I try to 
construct and build. And so my prayer is that for me and for each of us, you would tear those barriers down again this morning and you would open up our eyes to see you. You would open up our ears to hear what you would have to say and you would open up our hearts uh, to believe and to receive. I thank you, God, for the songs we sang this morning that talk about your resurrection conquering death. I thank you for the songs we sing this morning that talk about your love and your grace that overcomes our shame and our guilt and our fear. And I pray, God, that you would come and you would quiet our souls and our doubts and our, our, uh, our anxious thoughts and our negative thoughts, and you would come and just invade our imaginations and our hearts. Capture our imaginations with the beauty and the glory of Jesus and of the love that you have for us in him. I can't make that happen, but I do believe with all my heart that that's what you want to do. So I pray that you would come and you would do that now in this moment. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I know that I don't look like it now, but believe it or not, at one point in my life, I actually had a uh, gym membership. And um, so Carrie and I had been married for a couple of years. I was in seminary and working two jobs. And at that point in my life, my diet basically consisted of fast food, coffee, and Kansas City's famous Lamar's Donuts. And uh, I ended up going to, I was very, very unhealthy. And I ended up going to a doctor for a routine checkup. And he's asking me questions about my health, my diet, my exercise, my family history. And he looks at me and says, hey, if you don't make some serious changes... In your life, I'm really concerned about your future. You need to make some changes. And so, Carrie and I made some changes. And uh, we went and I, you know, we got ourselves a membership to Gold's Gym. Anybody know Gold's Gym? Arnold Schwarzenegger made it famous. You, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger? Okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, Gold's Gym. Yeah. And so, for the first several weeks, like anybody who tries something new like this, like we were all into it. And... We were very faithful. We were there two or three times a week, four times a week sometimes if we weren't too busy. And we were trying to change the way we eat and, and really doing, doing pretty well, making some changes. What started my descent back into old habits and old patterns was the relationship I cultivated with Frank. And Frank is very real. My wife can attest to this. Uh, just like every gym, Gold's Gym had its own little community there in Westport of Kansas City, and Frank was one of the regulars as part of that community. I got to know Frank over the weeks and over the months, and the thing that everybody loved about Frank, he became famous for this in the neighborhood, is that every time Frank would show up to work out at the gym, he would always bring with him a fresh, hot box of Kansas City's famous Lamar's Donuts. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. It would be nothing to be working out on this side of the gym and to look over to this side of the gym and to see Frank just getting after it with a dumbbell or working it on the elliptical, sweat pouring down, sweatshirt covered in sweat, smacking his fingers and destroying a glazed donut, like at the same time. And so for me, that was insane. And I thought, you know, the juxtaposition of health and fitness and uh, eating donuts at the same time, like that is something you would only encounter in Westport of Kansas City. That is, of course, until I moved home and saw this. <laughs> so you can, 
I'm sure Grant Pickney would appreciate this. You can literally go into uh, Batten's and pick up a bag of fried chocolate pies and head straight on over to Anytime Fitness, and you can be the Frank of Paragold if you want. Uh, and so, uh, but I bet Grant would probably say, don't do that. I'm simply saying that you can. Um, and so, <clears throat> I came to Frank one day and, uh, and actually asked Frank, like, hey, hey, brother, how do you reconcile this juxtaposition? Like this, this combination of working out and eating donuts at the same time. And, and I kid you not, man, with sweat on his shirt and with a donut in his hand, Frank said to me, uh, I don't know, old habits die hard, I guess. And they really do die really hard. So the reason I share that story with you is because that is our story. And the reason I show you that picture, if you can put it back on the screen, let's see that juxtaposition again. The reason I show that picture is because that is a pretty accurate picture of what's going on in our souls and in our lives. On the left side of that picture, you have what's represented in your soul, this deep desire to change. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us know there's something wrong with us and we desperately need to change. There's an indelible sense that there is a gap between who we are and who we want to be. A gap between who we are and who we were created to be. And our deepest desire, if you can just get in check with your honest, the honest thoughts and the honest cry of your soul for a moment, our deepest desire is to close that gap. In other words, we long to change. Our problem, as represented by the right side of that screen, is that old habits die really hard and we don't know how to change. This, this longing to change is, is, is not just a Christian thing, it's a uniquely human thing. Uh, and so it's reflected by the fact that we live in a culture where the self-help industry is a multi-billion dollar uh, industry. Uh, one commentator said that we live in a, uh, a culture where there is, I'm trying to find it in my notes, there it is, a self-help therapy technique obsessed age. We're looking for something that will help us change. What, what is it? If you're honest with yourself that you want to change in your life this morning. And where do you feel like you're stuck in the gap between who you are and who you were made to be? For some of you, what you long to change is physical health. For some of you, what you long to change is emotional and spiritual health. By the way, all three of those are tied together. For some of you, it's thoughts of self-abasing thoughts and shameful thoughts and feelings of worthlessness that you'd like to change. For some of you, it's anxious thoughts and anxiety and guilt and fear and self-condemnation that you would like to change. Who doesn't want more love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, humility, kindness, self-control in our lives? By the way, self-control, some of you, it's addiction that you would like to change. What is it that you want to change? Where do you feel stuck? Here's the irony for me this morning. I know exactly what it feels like to be stuck. One year ago today, I stood before my congregation in Kansas City where I'd been a pastor for eight years, and I announced to them that I would be stepping out of the pulpit for four months to get some help to deal with the depths of fear and anxiety and panic that I was feeling in my life at that time. I've always struggled with anxiety, 
But I've always had coping mechanisms to deal with that. And after a season of eight and ten years of life and ministry and running really hard in Kansas City, I just hit a wall. And I became an emotional basket case. I was having panic attacks. I did not know what was wrong with me. God felt really distant, and I didn't understand why. And I remember on several occasions, I said to my wife and our fellow pastoral team, I said, if something doesn't change in me, I don't think I'm going to see 40. Like something's got to change. We long for change. Here's the thing that I want us to focus on this morning. Here's here's the big idea I want to put forward, the core conviction I want us to wrestle with. If you are a follower of Jesus, change and transformation is the ultimate goal of your discipleship. Closing the gap between who you are and who you were made to be, that's the ultimate goal of your discipleship. And so, in fact, that's really a way to summarize all three of these goals that we've been talking about for several weeks. Whenever we say that the goals of being a disciple of Jesus is to orient your life around being with him, becoming like him, and doing what he did, we can summarize that by simply saying, disciples of Jesus are those who arrange their whole life around the goal of transformation into the image of Jesus. If you're looking for a really good life goal, that's a good one, because that's God's goal for your life, to transform you into the image of Jesus. Paul says it like this. I'll put this on the screen for you, 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is, the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me just tell, let me explain your longings. Paul's explaining your longings for a second. Look at the word image and focus your eyes on that word. When Paul says image, he's explaining to you why we long to change. See, you and I were created in the image and likeness of God. If you go back to the beginning of our story, we were created in the image of God, which is to say we were created to mirror something of his likeness and something of his character. The problem where the story goes tragically wrong is we sin against God by failing to trust God. And so now all of us are still made in the image of God. It's just that that image has been bent out of shape. And so what Jesus has come to do, Paul says, is he's come to transform you and restore you into the image of God. Which is to say he's come to make you who you were made to be. And he does it, look at the very end of that verse, he does it by giving you his spirit. So let me just encourage you for a second. If you long to change, let me give you some encouragement. If you're a disciple of Jesus, what Paul is saying is that Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit and he has put his image and his likeness in you. So here's what that means. You have the very life of Jesus in you. Through the Holy Spirit, you have the mind of Jesus, the emotional maturity of Jesus, the spiritual maturity, maturity of Jesus, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, and self-control of Jesus already in you. The reality is, however, none of us are fully formed into that image yet. And so this is working itself from the inside out in us. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so it's kind of like my daughter, when she puts on one of my t-shirts, it's way too big for her, and it bears something of my image and likeness. She just has a lot of room to grow in order for that thing to fit her well. So we have to grow. And see, the thing, because this is a relationship we have with God through Jesus and through His Spirit, it requires our participation. 
What relationship doesn't require participation? Like we have to participate in this with the Holy Spirit. Rich Plass, who mentors Jared, mentors me, says transformation happens through grace and it happens through grit. Or as Jared has reminded us for several weeks, Dallas Willard's famous line, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And so what I want to focus on for the rest of our time this morning is simply, how do we grow? How do we participate with the Holy Spirit in this process of being transformed into who we were made to be, unique image bearers of Jesus? And so just a couple more things to recap. Here's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We we introduced this paradigm for change. How do we change? And Jared introduced this paradigm for change or what we might call uh, spiritual formation. And the first paradigm we looked at was something, we'll put it on the screen, It was something called unintentional spiritual formation. While you stare at that, let me tell you what that's saying to you. That's saying to you that without trying, whether we realize it or not, we're all being formed into something. So all you have to do is wake up tomorrow, roll out of bed, and just by the process of going about your day, the habits we live into, uh, the stories we believe about our identity... Uh, and why we exist, the habits we live into, the relationships we have in our life, the environment in which we find ourselves over time and through experiences in our life, we are all being transformed and shaped into something. We are becoming something. The question is, who or what are you becoming? And to counter that, we introduce the paradigm of intentional spiritual formation. Discipleship to Jesus is about being intentional to your spiritual formation. And so counter the stories we believe is uh, gospel-centered teaching, and, uh, and putting into practice the ways of Jesus, all of that happens in the context of community through the power of the Holy Spirit over time and through the hard knocks of life or the hardship that we face. This is how we participate with the Holy Spirit and actively pursue being transformed into who God made us to be. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just break this paradigm down. We're going to dive into the the depths of the how of transformation. And today I'm going to talk about teaching and practice. Next week, Jared will talk about community. The next week, he'll do a whole sermon on the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm going to hit the top and the left side of that triangle and just talk about that for just a moment. So teaching and practice. This is how we change. Everybody with me? Okay, let's let's take a deep breath and let's go back to Mark chapter 1. And let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Mark 1, we'll start with our need for teaching and go back and look at that verse with me. Here's what Mark says. This, is, this by the way, is his one-line summary of all of Jesus' teaching. Mark says this, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, The time is fulfilled. It's come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. So um, central to Jesus' teaching is this concept of the kingdom of God. If you're wondering what the kingdom of God is, this is the redemptive rule and reign of God. It's his redemptive presence breaking into our world to restore everything, to literally transform everything and make all things new. Jesus says all of history is moving towards transformation. That's why this is God's goal for your life. And so that's what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting to me that when Jesus launches into his teaching ministry, the first thing he 
he does in his teaching is he announces us to us that the kingdom of God is here, and then he calls us to repent and to believe the gospel. Anybody know? There's some participation, participation here. What does it mean to repent? Say it again, James. Turn away. Yeah, turn away. And then more specifically, change your mind. Repentance literally means to change your mind. So here's, here's a one dictionary puts it this way. It says, uh, to repent is to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. So I find it fascinating that the very first thing Jesus does when he starts to teach is he addresses and he aims at our minds and our imaginations. And he says, hey, the kingdom of God is here. Now that needs to change the way you think. If you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, if you want to see old habits die with Jesus, you've got to change the way you think, Jesus says. You've got to change the way you think. And I love the way one pastor puts it. He talks about how what Jesus is inviting us to do is he's inviting us to reimagine our lives from the ground up around the reality of his kingdom instead of the reality of my kingdom. What would it look like for you to reimagine your life from top to bottom around Jesus' kingdom and not your kingdom? Because Jesus says this is crucial to see transformation in your life. In fact, that's really, that's really the first thing I want us to see. I'll put this on the screen for you. Repentance or reimagination is the first step to transformation. Jesus says you've got to change your mind. You have to interrupt the stories and the false narratives that we believe, the false scripts that we live into about who we are in terms of our identity, why we exist, and how we are to live. Apart from gospel-centered teaching which is what Jesus is doing in this moment, we will naturally gravitate toward lies. That's what happened. That's what what brought the whole ship down in in Genesis chapter 3. We bought into a false narrative. The serpent says God doesn't really love you. If you really want to find meaning and significance in your life and satisfaction, you need to look outside of God. That'll tell you who you really are. And we've been living into that false narrative ever since. And so Jesus says, yeah, you need gospel-centered teaching to disrupt that and reinterpret that for you. And apart from that, we will always misinterpret reality. So an example of this, uh, Jared and I, uh, every Wednesday, gather and pray. And so when when it's cold, we gather at his parents' house because they're at work and nobody's there. And we can gather there and we can pray. And we pray for you and we pray for one another and we pray for our MC leaders and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, last Wednesday we were gathered and we were praying. And when we got finished praying, neither of us had lunch plans. And so Jared said, let's just eat my parents' food. And I said... Sounds great. Let's just eat your parents' food. And so we start raiding their pantry like a couple of college kids and, uh, and like raiding their refrigerator and like building weird sandwiches out of stuff. And, and, uh, and I, I hear Jared get really frustrated over in the corner as he's looking in the pantry. He's, very, he's becoming more and more agitated. It's very clear. For those of you that don't know, Jared's on this big health kick right now. And the sermon, the sermon that I hear from him on the side all the time is if you can't pronounce the words on the back of it, then you shouldn't eat it. And he's always like getting on to me for the stuff that I'm eating, uh, even though he sneaks muffins and stuff at something sweet all the time. 
And he'll say, he'll say, look, man, if this, the, the stuff that's on the back of that, if you can't pronounce it, it's the stuff they use to make atomic bombs. And you don't need to put that in your body. And so I hear him over there trying to read the back of this bread, and he's becoming more agitated. And I hear him say, this bread is a lie. <laughs> I said, what do you mean the bread is a lie? And he said, well, look, it says on the front, it's 100% wheat. And if you look on the back, you can't pronounce a single word on the ingredients. And I'm listening to him try to pronounce these words. He's saying things like, Harina de Trigo Integral Agua Azucar. And finally, he just tosses me this bag of bread. And he says, you see if you can pronounce one, one word on the back. He's just so furious. You tell me if you can pronounce one word on that. So I look at it and I say, you're right, man. I'm trying to read it. It's like, I can't pronounce any of this. This is crazy. And I look, I look up and I, wait a minute. I look back down again and I think, I realize... Dude, this is in Spanish. <laughs> Mercy, Daddy. <laughs> Mercy, Daddy. So I pulled this move right here. I look at the bread and I go, turn it over. <laughs> There's the list of ingredients in English. The first one's like 100% whole wheat flour. It's like the healthiest stuff you could possibly eat. And so, and so. <laughs> Like, clearly, both of us had misinterpreted the reality of the whole situation, and we're about to do away with something that was perfectly good and true for us. What we really needed in that moment, by the way, was Edwin to teach us Spanish, but he wasn't there. And so, um, hey, again, welcome to your life, man. This is how we live, guys. This This is how I live. On our own, we take small... We take, on a, that's on a small scale. On a big scale, we misinterpret reality and it literally shapes our thoughts about things, the decisions we make, and our emotions and our desires and our longings and our loves. So the question I think we have to ask is when you think about, when you think about yourself, let's get inside our minds for a second. The gospel is first and foremost inviting you to change the way you think about God and about yourself and about your reality. And so when you get inside your mind, ask yourself the question, when I think about who I am, what's the first thing that comes to my mind? Think about it. When you think about who you are, what's, your, what's the knee-jerk foundation for the basis of your identity? Who do you think you are? Because who you think you are shapes the trajectory of who you are becoming. So who are you? Where does your mind go? Some of you, your mind goes straight to guilt. You live with this inner critic inside your mind who says, shame on you, you should have done better, you're not good enough, nobody... If, you're not performing well enough. God doesn't love you because you're not hitting it out of the park. And this, this relentless critic, that's who you think you are. For some of you, it's shame. Your mind goes straight to shame and you feel this sense of worthlessness. You, 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 here's the narrative script that you live into. And I'm familiar with this. Uh, I'm so bad at the core that if anyone knew who I am, the truth about me, there's no way they could ever love me. And so you give yourself to that false narrative. And that's the script you live out that shapes how you live your life. For some of you, your mind goes to fear and anxiety. This is where I traffic. This is where I live for me, basically. Uh, This is why I need gospel-centered teaching. You feel this desperate need to be in control. You feel like, am I really safe? 
if you feel the need to hide and posture behind a certain kind of identity in order to be accepted by others, controlled by what other people think. When you think, who am I? Where does your mind go? Jesus tells you where it needs to go because the first thing he says is the kingdom of God is here. That changes everything about the way you need to think. Believe the gospel. You know what the gospel says about you? You are fully known and truly loved in Christ. And God actually doesn't love you just as you are, by the way. He loves you, if you're his disciple, just as Jesus is. That's really good news, guys. That's really good news. Here's, here's a David Benner quote, and then I, I, I'll, uh, I'll move on. I don't want to belabor the point, but here's what David Benner says. He says, The gospel teaches us that an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. This is what Paul means, by the way, in Romans 12 too, when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice that's an ongoing process. This is part of your discipleship. You gotta be transformed by the ongoing renewing of your mind. Kill the false narratives that you're believing and living into. Dallas Willard says it like this. I love this Willard quote. He says, The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. So what what David Benner, what Dallas Willard, and what the Apostle Paul are all trying to say, better than I can say it, is that our thought life is filled with lies. And destructive thoughts and destructive images and ideas, and some of those we put there ourselves, and some of those were put there and planted there by others and the experiences that we've lived and the things that we've lived that have shaped us. And a major part of our discipleship to Jesus and our spiritual transformation into his image is replacing those thoughts and images with the thoughts and images that fill the very mind of Jesus. It's what Paul's talking about. I'll put it on the screen. Philippians 4.8. Listen, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about that. Think about that. And... What, what all of this is touching on, guys, is this, this thing in neuroscience. I don't want to bore you to death, but I think it's fascinating. This thing neuroscientists call neuroplasticity. This matters because this has to do with your brain. So the basic idea is that neurons that fire together wire together. So what that means is that when you have a thought, the more, uh, the more you have that thought and think that thought, the more likely you are to think that thought over and over and over and over and over again. And so um, this is why we get stuck in mental and emotional patterns that are toxic. This is why you have destructive thoughts that you can't shake. Uh, I'll put this on the screen. One neuroscientist says it like this. He says, think of hiking through a jungle with a machete. The trail you hack out is your thought life. The jungle is the millions of synapses in your brain. When you think a thought, it's like cutting a trail through the jungle. If you think it again, the trail gets clearer and so on and so on. Pretty soon when you come to that part of the jungle of your brain, you automatically take that route, even without thinking about it. 
even if it's a dangerous trail, even if it's not the best trail and there's a better trail, even if it's a lie, even if it's a dead end, at a biochemical level, your brain is now hardwired to take that route. What are you filling your mind with? What, what, what images are you filling your mind with? What ideas are you entertaining that are utterly disastrous for you and for the relationships you have in your life? This is why we need teaching. We need gospel-centered teaching to reshape us and conform our minds into the mind of Jesus. Now, if we stop there, we still get stuck. See, some of you, some of you are still stuck. You, you, uh, you participate on sun, by coming you know, here on a Sunday and you hear a sermon. Maybe you listen to podcasts. Uh, great ways to get gospel-centered teaching, by the way. In your fight club, in your missional community. Reading the word on your own is essential. Uh, listening to sermons. All of that's essential. But some of you are doing that. And you're still stuck in sinful patterns, in toxic thoughts, and in dysfunctional ways of relating. And you're stuck. And the reason why we get stuck is because we often do this tragedy where we fail to move from teaching to practice. See, information doesn't equal transformation. Information without application will never lead to transformation. And because the way of Jesus is a way of life, Jesus invites us to take up our cross to die and actually come and follow him. And so let's talk about that for a second. Let's, let's, we're not leaving teaching behind. We're, we're moving from teaching to practice, though. So here's what I want to do. Go to Matthew 7, and uh, let me, let's, let's talk for a second about the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I'll make a couple of comments here, and then we'll close. Here's what, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, I love, this is the NIV's rendering of this. He says, uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. is like the wise men who built this house on the rock. The rain came down. You guys know the song. The rain came, the storms rose, the winds blew, beat against the house. It did not fall because its foundation was solid. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus says, you need to take in and soak in. Your brain's like a sponge. You need to soak in all of my gospel-centered kingdom teaching. But if you don't take my gospel-centered teaching, king, uh, uh, teaching and kingdom teaching, Jesus says, and put it into practice then when the storms of life come, everything you've built your life on is going to come crashing down. The whole house of cards will come crashing down. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, you got to put this into practice. Uh, back in the early 2000s, what he's saying, by the way, is that a storm will always reveal your foundation. Storms will always reveal your foundation, whatever, you know, whatever it is you've built your, uh, your life on. And I remember some of you were there and you lived through this. I remember in the early 2000s when the massive tornado hit Marmaduke and, and wrecked it. And I went over with some guys uh, to help do cleanup. I remember walking through the streets of Marmaduke and all I could see were foundations. 
and everything else that was built on that foundation in shambles. Jesus says that when that diagnosis comes, when that breakup happens, when you experience that loss, when you're confronted with that limitation, when you experience that disappointment, whatever it is, Jesus says that wind and that rain and that storm will reveal your foundation. And your only hope is to have a strong foundation. How do you cultivate and have a strong foundation? Jesus says you take my teaching and you put it into practice. And when Jesus talks about foundation, he's talking about the core of you, the thing you build your life on, which is always what you love. Jesus is addressing your heart. He's addressing your heart and what you build your life on. The question is, what do you love? Because what you love is what you build your life on. What's your foundation? See, we have to address what we love and not just what we know. What we love has more control over us than what we know. So eventually, I went the way of Frank, the tank, and I uh, stopped going to Gold's Gym, and I went back to eating donuts. Uh, And so I was so envious of Frank. I wanted the best of both worlds. And so I went back to, you know, my old patterns and old habits and all that kind of stuff. And I knew that was bad for me. I knew that I needed to give that up. I knew that I needed to be in the gym, but I I did not, not, I didn't change. And my problem wasn't with information. My problem was with what I loved. The problem is I loved donuts more than I loved working out. Amen. That got an amen. <laughs> love it. Love it. By the way, the real reason I moved back, I'm sorry to say, had nothing to do with you and everything to do with Batons. I love Batons. I actually had more to do with you, but a lot to do with Batons. Um, listen, how, 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 do we, how do we shape our loves by practices? Your habits... The habits you live into, the practices you engage in, literally get inside you through your limbic system and they shape your loves and your desires. And so here's something we have to understand, and I'll put this on the screen for you. The only way you're going to experience the life of Jesus is to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want the emotional health of Jesus and the spiritual health of Jesus and the mind and the imagination of Jesus and all of that, you have to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. And what I mean by that is the spiritual disciplines, the core spiritual disciplines that you see Jesus practicing. So things like uh, silence and solitude and prayer and uh, scripture reading and Sabbath and rest and fasting and living in community and gathering weekly to worship together and simple living. There's all kinds of, of practices that we could that we could, there's a lot I could say there. There's a whole lot we could do, but here's, here's what I want to do. I just want to encourage you to do this, and then we'll close. I want to encourage you to um, take, a, take an audit of your week. Take, take five, take, take seven minutes, take an audit of your week, and write down the habits and the practices that make up your day, your, your week, and your life, whatever that is. And then I want you to pray Ask the Holy Spirit to help you connect the dots between the things you're doing and what it's doing to you. Because the things you do, the things we do, does something to us. Literally shapes our desires. Which is why the less I eat donuts, the less I want to eat donuts. And the more I work out, the more I want to work out. And the more I read the scriptures, the more I want to read the scriptures. And the more I uh, spend time with Jesus, the more I want to spend time with Jesus. 
and the less I do that. The more I watch Netflix, the more I want to watch Netflix. The more I eat chocolate-covered peanuts, the more I desperately want to eat chocolate-covered peanuts because it's my favorite thing in the universe besides Jesus. You're, you, the things you do do something to you. So do this audit, and then here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some of the core practices of Jesus and just replace one or two of these habits with one or two of those practices. So maybe you go to watch one less show of whatever, and you go to bed 35 minutes early so you can wake up 35 minutes early, and you can spend that time in silence or solitude, or you can spend that time reading the scriptures. You can, you can, you can fast. Instead of, instead of overeating, you could actually take that meal and not eat. And use that time to connect with Jesus and channel your longings and point your heart in the direction of Jesus. The things you do will do something to you. And so to close, here's what I want to do. I just want to remind us that all of this, guys, all of this, this teaching, this practice, this is a means to an end. The foundational, we're going to talk about foundation. The foundational goal of it all is simply to be with him. That's what he desperately wants. Here's what blows my mind. He wants to be with me so bad, and he wants to be with you so bad, and he loves you so much that he himself went into the eye of the storm that he's talking about in Matthew 7. He went into the eye of it for you. Jesus let the whole house fall down on top of himself. He faced the the hurricane of God's wrath for you and me. And Jesus lived the life we failed to live and he died the death we deserve to die so that by trusting in him and surrendering ourselves to him, we can be born again and have new life in him. And we have his very spirit in us and all the hope in the world that he will finish what he started and change us into the men and women and the sons and daughters that we were made to be. That is really, really good news.